want to look at a section of scripture tonight about a man who was king in his land, but he didn't give heed to the king. It made a big difference in his life and in the way he lived before others. And we're going to uh, look at that tonight. And I want to read just a single verse, and we're going to be looking through Second Chronicles chapter 21. But uh, as we stand in God's honor, I just want to read the last verse of the chapter. It's verse 20 of Second Chronicles 21. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem. Eight years. He passed away to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tomb of the kings. Let's pray. Father, would I be missed if at this moment you chose to take me to be with you for eternity? Would I be missed? Would anyone be sorry if they died? What a question. In this man's case, the answer was no. I pray tonight as we look at his life, may we be reminded to live, Father, for you that we might be missed. So just guide the rest of this time. Speak to our hearts, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1 says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now, the day of birth is great when there's a child that's born. But I think the point here is that with hopes that you live a life with Jesus, and you walk with a living God, when the day of death comes, people miss you. Because you had an impact on their lives. And I think that's what Ecclesiastes 7.1 is all about. Matter of fact, you go to funerals and you know you hear all this nice stuff. and That's what we do at funerals as we remember people. And maybe sometimes we remember them a little better than they actually were. Uh, but that comes with the territory. I, because that's what we want to do. Matter of fact, it's hard to imagine somebody who nobody regretted is gone. Nobody. Nobody missed him. Matter of fact, it reminds me of a story of a preacher and God was moving in the church and the church needed a new new place to meet. And they were trying to raise money. There were these two brothers in the church. They were filthy rich. But the way they got the money was they were a bunch of crooks. And so one of the brothers died suddenly. So the remaining brother came to the preacher and he said, Preacher, he said, I know we're trying to get that building built. And I tell you what, he said, I'll, I'll write out a check for $5 million. And you speak at the funeral if you say, My brother's a saint. And the preacher struggled, man. He prayed, God, what a temptation. God, what do I do? So he calls the brother back and he says, all right, you got a deal. I'm going to do it. He said, all right. 
He goes ahead. He says, I'll go ahead and write you the check. Writes the check. Comes the time of the funeral. Preacher gets up there and he says, Well, y'all knew this man. What a man he was. Ran around with at least half a dozen women in town. Cheated on his wife. Stole money from I don't know how many people. Was so crooked they had to screw him in the ground to get him in there straight. He's just an evil guy. But compared to his brother, he's a saint. Some guys that would not be missed. One translation of the New Living Translation said, No one was sorry when he died. You know, it's interesting. This guy's name is Jehoram. The name means Jehovah is exalted. A guy is named Jehovah is exalted. But in the end, God seems to be totally absent from his life. And so is everybody else. Um, I'm going to read the first four verses of Second Chronicles 21. Then Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, succeeded him as king. Jehoram's brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, were Azariah, Jehil, Zechariah, Azarihu, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father had given them many gifts of silver and gold and articles of value, as well as fortified cities in Judah. But he had given the kingdom to Jehoram because he was his firstborn son. When Jehoram established himself firmly over his father's kingdom, he put all his brothers to the sword along with some of the princes of Israel. Here's a man who ruled for eight years. But I want you to see what happened through his rule and through his life that turned people away from this king, that turned people away from this man. And the first thing was that all his brothers got part of the estate of Jehoshaphat, but he got the kingdom. So when he had a chance out of greed, I mean, he did the unfathomable. He executed his brothers so that he could have it all for himself. In verse 6, it's interesting, it tells us, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Ahab. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. His father was Jehoshaphat, who was a king that loved the Lord. He came from a godly heritage with his father, but he married a woman who was the daughter of Ahab, who was a guy that chased down the prophets of the Lord, married a Jezebel, and was a thorn in the side of Elijah. Um, and this was the family he married into, and and he drifted away from the Lord. Even though he came from a godly heritage, he didn't follow God. And it affected his rule. Verses 10 and 11 um, gives us some more insight. To this day, Edom has been in rebellion against Judah. Libna revolted at the same time because Jehoram 
had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. He heard about God. He was familiar with God, but he forsook God. He had also built high places on the hills of Judah and had caused the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves and had led Judah astray. So not only did he go astray and forsake God, he led other people astray. He had a place of influence and he used it to lead people away from God instead of to God. He followed his own sinful inclinations for a power grab to get all the power for himself. That's what happens with sin. Sin wants to exalt self. Sin wants to exalt me and not exalt God. Sin, I wrote this down, sin binds us. It, it traps us. We find that more than anything, we go after this particular sin or what we think will fulfill us or make us whole. So it binds us. And then sin grinds us because when we pursue that with a whole heart, it wears us down because only God gives us what we really need. And so when we pursue that sin wholeheartedly, it grinds us down. It eats away at our lives. And then finally, in the end, it unwinds a stable life that he wants us to have where there's disarray, and we see that in this man's life. Not only was there the temptation that was there, but he pursued that temptation. It made me think of a James chapter 1, verse 15, that says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to death. And death, when it is full, and it gives birth to sin, excuse me, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's what happens. The desire, man, that looks good. I want to follow it. Then it's born. It's conceived. And then as we follow that, it gives birth to that sin. The temptation's not the sin, but as we follow it, as we choose to follow that route instead of God's road, God's way, as we give into that, the end of that is death. That's what the scriptures say. In this case, this man, it was the death of his very integrity of his very influence, of the very hope of where he was headed in his life. It was Jehoram. And uh, quite honestly, the Holy Spirit tugs at the heart of his children. We know where we are. I don't know exactly where you are. You don't know exactly where I am. But guess what? God knows exactly where each one of us are. I always think what King David uh, said as he closed Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now picture, you know, it's, it's an invitation for the Holy Spirit to shine His searchlight into my old ugly heart to let me see exactly what it looks like so that I can let God do business with me. So I can walk close to Him. So that I can be intimate with the living God. And so say, God, just go ahead, search me. Go ahead, God. Know my heart. I'm going to bear it before you. I'm going to be honest. And, and, and Father, just go ahead. Try me and the test is out there. If there's anything wicked in me, Father, deal with it. And, and lead me in that way that's everlasting. Secondly, uh, as we look at Jehoram, he rejected God's warnings. And it, look in verses uh, 8 through 10, we see the first warning. In the time of Jehoram, Edom rebelled against Judah and set up its own king. 
So Jehoram went there with his officers and all his chariots. The Edomites surrounded him and his chariot commanders. But he rose up and broke through by night. To this day, Edom has been in rebellion against Judah. So he was surrounded by an enemy, by the Edomites. Usually when you're surrounded, there's no way out. Chances are you end up a casualty. It was a warning from God. God spared him. There are things that happen um, where we ought to be in eternity. God spares us. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to get personal here. I thought about this because it's on my heart and I want to share it. Uh, you know, two of my sons have, have just not been listening to God, not been following God. And a couple of years ago, one of them was in a wreck where he went off the road. He went into a river. How in the world? Hit his head on the windshield. Ended up in emergency room. Ended up with uh, minor injuries. He ended up crawling out of the car, made his way through the river, climbed up on the bank, car totaled. Uh, then my other son uh, was in a car with another guy driving, going way too fast, flipped the car three or four times, ended up the only one that was conscious, climbed out of the car, called 911, then called us and said, I was in a bad wreck. God's trying to get their attention. God is gracious. What are the chances of not having major injuries? What are the chances of not being taken into eternity? We don't know when the time's up, when we're going to be called out. And sometimes God just tries to get our attention. And in this case here, he got through the enemy. He was surrounded. He got through and God was trying to say to Jehoram, listen to me. You're not listening. You may be the king, buddy, but you're not the king of kings or the Lord of lords. Just because you think you're in charge, you're not. That's a lesson for all of us. At any moment, God can change my plans. because You know what? He's God. So that's the first one. Um, number two, a second warning uh, in verse 12. Jehoram received a letter from Elijah the prophet. He got a personal letter from the prophet of God, Elijah. Now, don't you think that would get your attention? I mean, I obviously don't even know who to compare that to. I guess as Baptists, we always think of Billy Graham. I mean, Billy Graham sent me a letter and said, you better watch it. God's sending you a warning. I think I would think about it anyway or get before God and pray about it. What in the world have I done? God, let me, you know, be serious about this. He gets this letter from the prophet Elijah trying to warn him, man, God's love, God's mercy is amazing. How God reaches so far to love us. He doesn't have to. He could just let us go into eternity opposed to him. And that's a bad deal. You know what that is. To be separated from God is eternal destruction and suffering. That's what Jesus said. Um, But we see no repentance to Jehoram. He gets this letter. Doesn't seem to do anything. He just goes right on. Just marches along. And there's a third one. Um, He had rejected God's warning in Deuteronomy 7.3 about marrying people who are steeped in idolatrous 
practicing. Uh, here he was, a king. Here he was, the one who uh, had the platform of his nation. And he should have been standing up for God. He should have been the example. And he ended up marrying a, a woman who had no heart for God. Matter of fact, uh, turn over me to the next chapter. I want to show you just how wicked wife was in chapter 22 10 through 12 we read this about Athaliah his wife when Athaliah the mother of Ahaziah saw that her son was dead she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah but Jehosheba the daughter of King Jehoram took Joash son of Ahaziah and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Because Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of the priest Jehoiada, was Ahaziah's sister, she hid the child from Athaliah, so she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years, while Athaliah ruled the land. Her plan was just to wipe out everybody in David's line, in the line of Judah. Anybody in the royal family... We'll just kill. We'll just take him. She had no respect for God. She had no fear of God. As did her husband. And this is who he married. This is the impact he had. And, you know, that's why it's so important when God talks about being equally yoked in our relationships, you know, in our marriage, is I don't care how strong you are. The people closest to you, we draw strength from. And it can be a strength that leads us to God or a strength that takes us away from God. And, and so he missed this warning as well. And it brought a lot of pain to him. And third point here uh, in this message. Jehoram lost his honor. He was on top of the world, <laughs> but he came crashing down. Remember what it says, and I think it's Proverbs 16 18. Pride goes before destruction. Um, haughtiness before a fall. Let me look that up. But I think you guys are probably familiar with the verse. I think it's Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. When, when it's all about me, you know, the middle of pride is I. It's all about me. Wow. That precedes destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And it's a long fall. The higher up you are, the further the fall. And he was the king of the land. So it was a great fall. And he lost his honor. And um, a lot of this is described in that letter, Elijah's letter. And I'm just going to read to you. This is a list of... According to verses 16 and 17, he was defeated in battle by the Philistines and by the allied forces of the Philistines. Verse 17, he lost his entire family except for his youngest son and his wife. Athaliah. Verse 17, he lost all his wealth. It was taken from him. Verses 18 19, he was struck with a severe and terminal intestinal disease which caused uh, humiliation. 
Also in verse 19, after two years of suffering from this disease, he died in great pain and agony. Verse 19, although he was a king, the people made no fire in his honor. They didn't honor him because he wasn't honorable. Verse 20, he was not buried in the royal cemetery. And then last of all, as it says in the New Living Translation, verse 20 we read earlier, no one was sorry when he died. He passed away to no one's regret. I guess the question is, when we go, will the day of death really be better than the day of birth? I mean, we're doing this now. You're, as has been said so many times, you're preaching your funeral now. He preached his, and he got what he had preached through his life. No attention. Nobody missed him. And someone has said, live your life in such a way that your autograph will be asked for one day and not your fingerprints. Well, he was one uh, with the fingerprints that be asked for with all of his crime, all of his scars. And I guess the beauty of the gospel that I love so much about Jesus is he always says there's a fresh start waiting. No matter how bad you think you are, there's a fresh start waiting. I remember hearing uh, Dennis Swanberg is about to, uh, be in town next month and uh, anyway I heard him I think it was last year he was giving a talk and he uh, he, he spoke about this uh, one church and I can't remember if he was the one speaking or if it was somebody else but they were actually working in the attic up above him and uh, while he was speaking while the guy was speaking the guy fell through the roof but he didn't fall all the way you could just see his legs dangling and uh, and you could hear the other guy saying, um, are you okay? Can you see down through there? Can you see the preacher? And so anyway, they managed to get him out of there, and they come through the end of it. And uh, Swanberg said there was this one old uh, farmer who had come to church that day. I think it was like Easter Sunday. I mean, Sunday, you know, everybody there. And he said, this, this old farmer, you know, he's preacher shaking hands and comes out there he says well i told my wife that if i ever showed up at that church the roof would fall in but i didn't think it would you know what that's the beauty of it though when you do business with god the roof doesn't fall in he's not surprised he doesn't shoo us away he doesn't reject us because the gospel says that's why he came. For sinners like you and me. I've always loved that Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till you cleaned up your act. Because you're dirty and so am I. He took care of that. And I just love that about the good news. God takes us right where we are, not where we should be. 
And I believe that old Jehoram, even as bad as that rascal was, if he would have genuinely turned his heart to God, it would have ended a different way for him. May we live our lives for redeemers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this negative example of a man of influence, Jehoram. Nobody missed him. What about me? What about my brothers and sisters here? Will we be missed, Lord? Do a work in our lives. The irony of it is, um, when people see you, we mean something. And so do a work in each of us that points to Jesus Christ. May we fall deeply in love with you and live worship day by day and moment by moment. And I believe when that happens, Father, um, you'll do something in us, Lord, that people need and want and hunger for. They'll see you. And so may you do that in your people, Lord, in us. And, Father, we want to see you move among us. Um, So I just ask that you would start that revival. We talk about revival, Lord. Um, Before we talk about all these people that need to be changed, change me. I think that's really the heart of revival is when everybody starts saying, change me, Lord. And so uh, I just pray that for all of us tonight. May we together just say, change me, Lord. Uh, Father, in this time of invitation, do as you please. May we respond. In Christ's name we pray.